Will you guys go ahead and take a seat? You know, Christmas is by far my favorite time of year. It's, it's just so fun. Um, it's fun to hang out with family and friends and to enjoy the season and get to do the things that we do. And I, I love Advent. If you're new to Christianity, Advent, it simply means like the anticipation of the arrival. And that's what we do. For a couple weeks leading up to Christmas, I want to set the stage for the Christmas story by building on the theme of not just what Christmas is, but why it's massively important. So today I want to start by looking at John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You know, one of the things that's universally true in my family is that all of my kids sleep with their lights on in their bedroom. I have no clue why, uh, but Elliot's the craziest. If you ever go into Elliot's room, Elliot, my youngest son, he has Christmas lights hanging from his bed. He's got a night light in his room, and then he also has a lamp, and then the light on. I'm like, bro, you have enough lights on. He has no clue what rim sleep is. Like He's never experienced it a day in his life. Um, and the reason is, honestly, is he's afraid of the dark. And for most of us, if we're honest, we are too. That's why we don't go out past 10 o'clock or you don't ride Marta past 10. And, and whatever the case might be, there's many reasons that often uh, we don't like the cover of dark. Matter of fact, if you go and look at any, <clears throat> any stats, 87% of DUIs happen at night and 60% of all violent crimes happen at night. The reason that night seems to do this is because it brings a covering over what we think is our hidden darkness. Here's the problem with that. None of us really like darkness. We want to be exposed. We want to live in the light. Uh, when you think about your own life, the reason why you hide in the darkness is because you're afraid of what will be exposed if you walk into the light. What Christmas is, and what I want to show you today, <coughs> is Christmas is the story of light with no shame. It's exposure wrapped in love. It's no accident that the Christmas season is marked by lights. If you drive down the road, you see lights on people's houses. You have lights on your Christmas tree. You have a fire at night with lights. It, it's all there. It was always meant to be an illumination of a picture of light breaking into darkness. Light is symbolic of the way that we anticipate the true light coming into the world. You see, that's what the Christmas story is. It's the true light coming into the world. If you don't know this, um, many scholars will actually tell you that Jesus was not really born on December 25th. Most scholars believe he was either born in like late spring or early summer, uh, but, but the early church had to land on a day that we would celebrate his birth not knowing when he was actually born. <clears throat> Here's what they decided. They decided that December 25th was uh, historically the darkest day of the year, that they, would, that they would celebrate the birth of our coming Savior to symbolize darkness coming, or I'm sorry, light coming into darkness, that in the bleakness of winter when all seemed to be so hard, when things seemed to be without hope, they would create the greatest story of all with hope in our lives. And here's what's beautiful about this, is that greatest story that they created was a true story. It's a true story of God breaking into winter. It's a true story of God breaking into our darkness. It's not just symbolic. The light is what brings light to your life. <clears throat> see, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see that God is like light coming into darkness. And all of us, like, like those pesky mosquitoes, are attracted to light. We all want to be known. We all want to find hope and significance. We want to walk into this world understanding that there is hope without shame. 
That's what the Christmas story shows you. That's what John chapter 1 is all about. <clears throat> so let me paint a picture for you today, the necessity of not just Christmas, but the beauty of the light coming into the world. You ready? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Kind of had to pause here before you even go any further. That's a really important phrase. In the beginning, does this remind you of anything? Does, when you read those words, what do, <clears throat> what do they reflect? They reflect the very beginning of the Bible, don't they? Genesis chapter 1. It's no coincidence that the writer, John, who writes John chapter 1, starts with the exact same phrase that the writer of Genesis, Moses, did. In the beginning. And here's why. He's showing you that Jesus is a new beginning. Here's what's pretty cool. John is painting a picture for you that there is a new creation coming into the world. That <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, the world was supposed to be perfect. You and I were supposed to experience all of God's light, and yet there's darkness. You see, when sin entered the world, the world went from perfection to chaos. It went from order to disorder. Now check this out. God, <clears throat> sorry. God is showing you that in the first creation, we go from order to chaos, and in the second creation, you're going to have God make us go from chaos back to order, from disorder to perfection. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about God recreating the world. You see, what Christmas is, it's not about a birthday of a Savior. It's not about Santa. It's about God fixing what we had broken. <clears throat> and listen, all of us have experienced brokenness, haven't we? Haven't we? At some level. At some level, maybe, maybe it's the brokenness of a cold that you can't get rid of. I'm not bitter about that at all. Maybe it's the brokenness of failed disappointments, right, where you've worked so hard, and it feels like you work so hard and it doesn't work out, like Georgia football for the last 40 years. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I, I couldn't help myself. This is why people don't come here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe at some level you just felt un unworthy. You, you feel unworthy. You feel like you've blown it so bad <clears throat> that God can never accept you. Here's what Christmas is. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. Think about it. In the first beginning, God was the light of the world. and every sense, all we've experienced is darkness. Now, in that darkness, there's a great light breaking forth into the darkness to push out those hidden places to give us something more beautiful. That's the beauty of Christmas. Christmas is God's answer to all the chaos of this world. It's God's answer to the darkness that you and I experience. In the beginning, God created, and now he's going to recreate. Look at it. In the beginning was the Word. <clears throat> and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word there, Word, is the Greek word logos. Here, here's what he's showing you. This is really, really cool. That in the beginning, when God created in the way that it was always supposed to be, uh, it, it's broken. And, and what you experience now is not what God meant. And yet, that word, that reasonable word, logos, that's what it means. It means reason came into the world. Watch this and write this down because here's what you're going to see in John chapter 1. Jesus is the objective reason for life. What John is trying to show you and I is that what you experience, it's not what you should base your life on. Is that God is recreating the world on something more solid. He's about to show you that this word, this objective reason, became a life-giving being. Okay, look at verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and that Word became flesh. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you remember way back in the book of Genesis, again, when God spoke, the world came into being. Think about it. Think about the majesty of this. Okay, God speaks, 
and galaxies are formed. Uh, God, God speaks and the human eye is created in such a way with all of its intricacies that, that it, 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 you can see the way that you do. God speaks and DNA is formed in every bit to where human life is sustainable, where the physics of the universe, where, where the earth and the moon, or earth and the sun are at the perfect distance to sustain life and just the power of his word, God speaks. Now think about how much power is in God's word. Now here's what John's showing us. All of that power was harnessed into a human being named Jesus Christ. And in that person, in that person, he's recreating the world in such a way that there is a new beginning. Put it together. In the beginning, God created the world by speaking the world into existence. And in his new creation, he recreates the world by, not by speaking, but by becoming. By becoming a man. There's so much in this one verse right here that I want to I point out to you. So next slide here is... In the beginning, the word became flesh. That word flesh there, it means like to incarnate or uh, think like Mexican restaurant, carne asada, right? It means flesh. The, the word of God, all the power of God that created the world, put on flesh and became a human being and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt there, it means to tabernacle or to temple among us. Watch what John is saying because he's connecting the dots for how the entire Bible is pointing to this reality of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God met with his people in a specific place called the temple. And in order for God's people to meet with God in this place called the temple, they had to either be perfect or they had to sacrifice something. Watch what he's saying. In this new recreation, you don't have to meet with God in a place. You get to meet with God in a person. Because that person, the God of the universe, put on flesh, incarnated himself by becoming a human being so that he could become your living sacrifice. And as he became your living sacrifice, now when God wants to meet with you and you want to meet with God, there is a perfect sacrifice. His name is Jesus Christ who dwelt or he templed or tabernacled among us so that now for all of eternity, you and I can be with Jesus. See, this is how it all works together. This is what Christmas does. Christmas makes it possible for the meeting place to be with God and man because of his life-giving sacrifice where God can recreate the world the way that it was always supposed to be. Jesus is your way to meet with God. And then he says, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what it means to see God's glory? It means that you get to see and experience what full grace and truth is. Again, let me go back to, I want to connect the dots for the whole Bible. If you're new to Christianity, there's a, there's a place in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, where Moses looks at God and he says, God, can I see your glory? God looks at him and he says, you can't. Because if you did, because of, because of our sinfulness, it, it would be like tissue paper touching the surface of the sun. God is so holy and pure that we could never come into his presence. He says, you can't see my glory. But what you see now is that because of Jesus... And his perfect righteousness, what God says is because of Jesus standing in your place, you get to experience all of God's glory. You can see God's glory in the face of Jesus because when God looks at you and I, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees Christ's perfect righteousness in our place. God came down. Jesus came down, put on flesh to be your perfect sacrifice so that when God's light shines, it shines in and through us. And now when God sees you, he sees Christ. That's the picture, full of grace and truth. Listen to this, and do you recognize how amazing this is? The light of the world made God visible to you and I again. That's what he's saying. He's illuminated a picture of himself for you and I to see. How breathtaking is that? 
How amazing is Christmas? Because of Jesus, we can experience God's grace again. And don't miss what God's glory looks like. God's glory is full of grace and truth. Here's what he's basically saying. You realize that in order for you to ever be fully loved, you have to be completely accepted, and one without the other would never work. What he's saying is that Jesus fully knows you. He knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you and accepts you. That there is full love and full acceptance in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus offers you full acceptance because he knows the truth. He knows the truth about you, and he knows everything you've ever done. Matter of fact, Paul says in, I think it's Romans 5, 8, that before you and I had ever done anything good or bad, Jesus Christ loved you. I'm not, not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm pretty sure none of us were alive whenever Jesus died on the cross, which means that he did it before you and I ever took our first breath, that his love for you is unconditional based on what he did, not on what we do. Listen to me, you need to hear me say this. There is more grace in Jesus than sin in you. And for many of us, we don't come to Christ because we don't think that he'll fully accept us. But do you recognize and realize that that's what the Christmas story is about? That he fully accepts you and he fully loves you based on what he did, not what you have to do. He lived your perfect life in your place and he died your death. Verse 2, this is what it says. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, if I put you in a pitch black room with no, with no light at all, it'd be like absolute chaos. If we turned out all the lights and it was complete darkness in here, you would, not, you would have no clue how to get out. None of us have really ever experienced full pitch black darkness. Or think about driving your car in the middle of the night. How do you see the road? You put on the lights. The reality is, for many of us, we're living in a world of utter darkness, and we don't realize that in that world, you don't have to experience it, because all you have to do is turn on the lights. Jesus is the light that, if you would turn on, would expose the darkness and would give you a path to life. Christmas is about Jesus turning on the lights of our dark world. What John is saying is that Jesus is the only way to see and experience the world properly. You see, because of our sin, there is spiritual darkness in the world. But because, Jesus do, <clears throat> because of Jesus, we don't have to experience that darkness anymore. When John says that all things were made through him and by him and for him, he's telling you that Jesus is the center or the, re, the, the central figure of all reality. It's like, uh, I, I think about this, my son's birthday was on Thanksgiving, and all he wants are these toy cars. So we got him these um, toy cars that go around this track and um, and, and the reality is, is whenever you buy these cars, they, they come with every accessory except the batteries, right? I mean, anybody else ever been there? Like, he tears it open, he's like, I want to get, and then you don't have any batteries. I think for many of us, we, we don't realize that Jesus is uh, building you like you are that car, but he's also the batteries that go inside of you. And I think for a lot of us, I couldn't think of another example better than this, a lot of us are like the car with no batteries, like, we are the shell, the figure of what God created us to be, and yet we don't run. Because Jesus is saying, I want to offer you the batteries of your life that will actually change who you are. I want to give you a light that will make you move on the tracks of life. Instead, we just sit parked in the darkness. This is what he says. This is so important. He says, I want to put myself inside of you. Watch this in verse 4. I underline these words for you because they're super important. In him, and Jesus was life. Like, he's the batteries. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you notice that the verb tenses here change? Notice how it starts off. It starts off in the past tense, doesn't it? 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know what he's saying? He's saying Jesus has already done everything in the past necessary to save you. It is finished. Again, I love this. That's the very last phrase Jesus says. He doesn't say try harder. He says it's finished. Jesus is saying that he has already brought direction to your life. He's like the flashlight that he's already given you in a dark room. Maybe today some of you are sitting here wondering, like, could God ever accept me? Could God ever love me? You realize that the Christmas story is the emphatic answer, yes, absolutely. Because it's not dependent upon what you do, it's dependent upon what he did. See, I know a lot of people, even in this church, have talked to me about how they just feel anxious and depressed, like there's a darkness inside of them. Here's the other thing that the Christmas story offers you. A present reality of God's presence in your life. You see it? The past tense. In him was life, and yet the light shines. The light shines in the darkness. For many of us, again, when we walk through this life, we've been told that, hey, look, either Jesus did something in the past, or one day he'll change my eternity. But the reality is is that God tells you he didn't just do something in the past, he's not going to just do something in the future, but there's a present reality of him in your life right now, too. That light shines in your darkness right now. I mean, come on. Like, we've all experienced the last two years. We all know how hard it is. We've all been there. Whatever the case might be for you, but the reality is that Jesus says, I'm in your darkness with you. And I will shine forth in that darkness. You know, the one thing that light, uh, the one thing darkness cannot overcome is light. I mean, <laughs> scientifically, it's simply darkness is the absence of light. Here's what he's saying is that anywhere Jesus is, there will not be any darkness. Quite literally, Jesus is saying that he will continue to shine in the darkest recesses of your life. Verse 9, the true light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Here's what's super important about that. That word true means something like ultimate or absolute. Jesus is the true or ultimate or absolute light. You know, one of the ways that you can absolutely jack up this verse is to put a possessive pronoun in front of true. You know what I'm talking about? This is what we often do. My light, their light, their truth, our truth. You know what Jesus is saying? There's only really one truth, and he is the truth. Many of us don't experience God's joy because we have a problem with the authority of God's word. We spend so much time searching for our truth when the author of all truth makes it really clear that he is the truth. He is the illuminating path back to God the Father himself. I'm sure all of you maybe have heard the proverbial story of the, the blind guys who are hanging out and they're, they're trying to feel their way around the elephant and one of them grabs the tusk and he's like, oh, I think that that's a sword. And then another guy grabs the trunk and he's like, no, it's a tree trunk. And then a guy at the back, he's grabbing around the leg and he's like, no, 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 it's a wall. And the moral of the story is supposed to be that uh, we all have our own truth and we can figure it out on our own. The, real, the problem with that is the only person that knows that it's an elephant is the guy standing outside that sees the whole picture, right? For many of us, the most ridiculous statement that we make is the same thing, is we say, no, our own moral stories and our own moral truth is like we're going to grab our own little piece, when the reality is, is making statements like my truth is like the blind man touching the elephant when we don't realize the, the one who created all truth is telling you what truth is. Doesn't it sound ridiculous when you think about it? That God, who stands outside of time and teaches us exactly what all reality looks like, we look at him like a blind man and we're like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's actually a sword. And God's sitting there saying, no, it's an elephant. I made it. You know, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm telling you, I feel it. And he's like, 
Listen, dummy, I made the whole thing. Just follow me. This is what he's saying. The true light, the absolute light, his name is Jesus. When we make statements like my truth, we miss the whole point. Because the reality is not all paths lead to God. There is one path, and his name is Jesus, and he's lighting the way back to, Jesus, uh, he's lighting the way back to the truth. See, Christmas is about Jesus entering humanity and becoming your light to turn you back to God, back to a path that leads to life. By the way, if there were any other ways, you know that that would make Jesus' life, death, and resurrection unnecessary, right? Imagine, just think about what we say. When we say things like, always lead to God, what we're basically saying is, God, there's another way, and Jesus wouldn't have to die. What John is saying, and this is really important, John is saying that the problem is, is most of us think the light is within. Most of us think that we have our own truth. This is why, by the way, New York Times best-selling books on self-help um, regurgitate every six months because we, we all know that we need help to find joy, and yet every six months there's a new one because we fail, figure out that one didn't work. So we grab another one and another one. Listen, if you go all the way back to the creation story, it's the same story. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they look at, they look at God, and it's not like they just ate a piece of fruit. They looked at God, and they said, listen, we want to be like you, or our light is from within. We know better than you. The whole Old Testament, over and over and over again, is about people who continually look for their own truth within, and they completely disregard what God says. And then God rescues them again, and if I'm honest with you, that's what my life has looked like. Now, maybe I'm the only one, but let me just confess. Half the time, I know the right thing to do, and I decide not to do it anyway. Anybody ever done that? Like, like I know that I shouldn't do this, and yet I'm so enticed by it that I want to do it. And I know what God's word says, so I ignore it, and I change my own path anyway. Here's what John's saying. We don't need to be the best version of us. We don't need a light from within. We need a light from without to break in, to change us. And that's what Jesus offers, a true reality breaking into the darkness to give us light. Not every reality gets you to where you want to be. I mean, again, I've been there, and I know you have too. What Jesus is offering you, the gospel story is this, is a true and a perfect light coming into our world to break into our darkness. That's what he looked at. Look at it again. The true light, which gives light to everyone. Again, I'm not a rocket scientist, but everyone seems to me to mean everyone, which means that we all need a savior. That's why he would write that. All of us have tried our own way, and we've all found out that our own way just doesn't work. Jesus has made a better way. I'm just telling you, if you want to experience joy, it's not found within. It's found in him. You don't need to be the best version of you. You need to receive God's change from the outside in. Think about how amazing this picture is. In the beginning, God created the world that we broke, so God entered back into our world to fix it by bringing light into our darkness. That's the Christmas story. So when you put those lights on your tree, or when you drive down the road, or, or you see the Christmas tree out here, realize that it's all pointing to a greater light. The whole point is that Jesus is the ultimate reality that we see all of life through. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And then I love this last sentence, and this last phrase, but. I love that transition. You, you, you're about to see what he's going to say, but listen to this. What he's saying is that even though his people rejected him, he never rejected them. 
I love 2 Timothy 2 says it like this. Paul says, uh, even when you are faithless, God remains faithful. Don't you see this? What he's saying is there's, there's not a sense in which you could ever reject God and God would still reject you because Jesus has already done everything necessary to save you. Like I hear people tell me this all the time. Uh, I, the objection is, hey, look, if Jesus was standing right in front of me right now, I wouldn't reject him. Like I, I, I'd believe him if he just came right here. And I'm like, first of all, he did that and they rejected him and killed him. Like what makes us think we're any different? Second of all, he is right here. He is right here right now. And he is offering you and I the greatest reality ever. He, keep reading with me. But to all, and I love that, if you underline words, that all there, again, it's all people, to all who received him, who believed in his name, listen to this, he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There it is, that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came into the world to bring you back into the family of God. And here's how you do it. You receive him and you believe in him. I've explained this to you before, but um, it's like when you receive Jesus' name, it's not that you just pray a prayer. It's like you're adopted into his family. Have have you ever watched an adoption process from beginning to end? It it is the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. It kind of goes like this. I think about Clayton and Katie Feltz, huh? who's one of our elders, and they adopted two kids last year, and we got to walk through the whole process. Here's how it happened, okay? They showed up to this massive convention center, and when they showed up, there were like kids everywhere. They lined them up on the stage, and they had them do an IQ test, and then after the IQ test, they they did these measurables, like the um, NFL draft, where they checked to see how big they were going to be, and and, and parents, they lined up with a checklist, and then they picked one by one on what kid that they wanted based off of the outcome of their lives. That's not what happened, right? What really happened is the kids lined up the families, and the parents had to pull out their 401ks, and they pulled out their retirement plans, and they showed their cars, and the kids were like, man, my life's going to be better. That's not what happened either. You know what really happened? By God's sovereign grace, God brought two kids into their life with all their mess, with all their background. And Clayton and Katie loved them unconditionally. And he took them in, and somebody paid an exorbitant amount of legal fees for a judge to stand up and pound a gavel down and say, these two, Paige and Tyler, his last name is Feltz. And from that moment on, those two kids were co-heirs and inheritance of their family. Like everything that belonged to Clayton and Katie was theirs now, and they loved them like their son and their daughter, which they are. You realize that's what Jesus did for you. It wasn't like you were on a cattle call that he lined up to see if you were going to be good enough for him. And it wasn't like you got to evaluate him. No, he says, I'm going to put the most exorbitant down payment on your life ever, which is going to be my life. And I'm going to choose you with all your stuff. And it doesn't really matter what you've been through or where you've been or anything, but because I'm going to give you my life. And in exchange for my life, you know what you get is you get my name. You get my name. You get to be called child of the king of the universe. And from that point forward, for all of eternity, everything that's mine is yours, and everything that's yours, I'm going to change, and I'm going to give you, you're going to be co-heirs to my kingdom. You know, I can always tell, I can always tell what people think about Jesus by how they relate to him. If you relate to him as a father, you, you tend to talk to him differently. Like, I think about um, when people call me, so for some odd reason, when Delta calls me, they like to call me Reverend Lowe. And nobody calls me Reverend Lowe, ever. 
When I pick up the phone, I'm like, number one, who told you that? And number two, like, you have no clue who I am. And then, like, every 14 minutes when somebody tells me that I need to get an extended warranty on my car and they call me, apparently I need an extended warranty on my car, uh, they like to call me Mr. William. I'm like, again, who in the world calls me Mr. or William? Right? They don't know me. And some of you like to call me Pastor, which means you, you know me a little bit better, but you don't realize that it kind of, like, makes me uncomfortable because I just want to be a guy. There are three people in the world that have the amazing privilege of calling me daddy, and there's one person that calls me big daddy, and ain't none of you. I, I know, I'm going to get in trouble, uh, and she's going to be like, that ain't true. L- listen, I know that Jesus is the king of the universe. I know that he's the Lord of lords. But do you know that he's your father? Like you realize that there's three people in this world that can interrupt me at any time of the night. You come into my room at 3 a.m., we got problems. But when little Addie walks into my room and she says, Daddy, I want to cuddle with you, I'll drop everything for that sweet boy. Do you realize that's how God thinks about you? That you have the most intimate relationship with the father of the universe and you get to call him Daddy because he gave you his name? Can you put that last verse back up there? I want you to read it. And the word became flesh and it dwelt, not, not that one, the one of, I'll tell you which one. Um, verse 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in him, listen to that. He gave them the right to be called children of God. You weren't, this is the adoption. Not because you were born with any righteousness in you. Not because you're bloodline, not because you're, because of God. Because of the will of God. You see that? Because of Christmas, the king of the universe looks at you as a son or a daughter of the king. As a co-heir to his kingdom. How you relate to God changes everything about you. How you call him changes everything about you. Christmas has brought you back into a relationship with God. You realize when sin entered the world... The greatest travesty wasn't death. The greatest travesty was the death of a relationship. And Jesus came to restore your ability to be brought back into God's family. The question that I have for you is when you look at Jesus and when you hear his name, what do you call him? What do you call him? Do you call him the the savior of the world or do you call him your daddy? There's an intimacy there. Look at verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you realize that the king of the universe loves you this much that he would incarnate, that he would put on flesh, he would dwell among you? And if your mind's not blown yet, listen to this. The creator subjected himself to his own creation because he wanted it so badly. God didn't have to do what he did, and yet he did it anyway. That's the Christmas story. Like, sometimes I think that we think that God was naive. No, God was not naive. He knew that when he would put on flesh, that he would be tortured in every way, that he would be lied to, that he would be abused, that he would be mistreated, and that he would ultimately die. Isaiah 53 tells us that. The only reason why God would do that is because you are worth it to him. Of course he knew what would happen, and he did it anyway. He did it because he wanted you. That's the Christmas story. The incarnation, the new creation, is Jesus in all the fullness of God dwelling in him so that he could recreate that which is broken. And now you can see his glory. Now you can see his glory in the person of Jesus. 
Listen, there are two things. I want to end by saying these two observations that I think the Christmas story should leave you with today. Here's number one. What you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. This isn't an overstatement. Jesus is the most important person who has ever existed, and what you think about him changes where you will spend eternity. I mean, my goodness, we actually measure time by Jesus. He is that important that everything in this world, whether you believe in him or not, revolves around him. So let me just ask you, how do you relate to the Christmas story? How do you relate to Jesus? Is he just a fable that we talk about once a year and you show up here on obligation, out of obligation? Or is he just some moral teacher that you listen to every now and then? Or is he the king of the universe who put on flesh to save you? What you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Here's number two. Jesus can change your fate. Friends, Advent is the anticipation of Christ's incarnation. It's the way that we set the stage for the birth of Jesus. The miracle of Christmas is amazing because it's true. You see, that's the Christmas story, a baby in a manger that came to change our eternity. What if today, during this Advent season, we actually stopped anticipating and we started receiving? What if today we sat back and we received his name? I love the way Tim Keller summarized this. Listen to what he says. He says, in short, Jesus is the divine light of the world because he brings a new life to replace our spiritual darkness. Because he shows us the truth that heals our spiritual blindness. And because he is the beauty that breaks all of our addictions. Or as St. Augustine famously said it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Have you found your rest in Christ? Like, I know there's a lot of anxiety in this world. But have you ultimately found your rest in the warmth that the light of the universe brings to you? Have you seen the world through his illuminating path? That's what Christmas offers you, rest for your soul. You see, it doesn't doesn't offer you perfection. It actually just offers you rest in the midst of darkness. Again, we've all been through the last couple years, haven't we? You know the difference between those who have a rest in Christ and those who don't is? The difference is, is there's no fear because perfect love drives out fear. That you can walk through the middle of your darkness and you can see that God is with you. This is what Jesus in the Christmas story offers you. Like Elliot, my son, it offers you light in the middle of darkness. Jesus offers you calm to your life. You know, the other day, I asked Elliot, I was like, bro, why do you have all these lights on? And he's like, because I'm scared of the bad guys. I'm like, but let me just ask you, dude. Like, when you come and sleep in my room, there's no lights on in there. Why? You know what he said? He says, Daddy, because you're there. He says, bad guys can't get me when you're there. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're my light. You're my protection in the middle of the darkness. I gotta just tell you, that's what Jesus offers you. It's not that anything in his reality changed other than the fact that my presence drives out what he's afraid of. That's what Christmas offers you. It's not just a fable. Advent is awaiting our king because your king, his presence is a reality to your situation now. So whether you get sick, whatever, you don't get the job, uh, family stuff doesn't work out, you have a presence of the king in the middle of your reality. 
and it drives out fear. That's what Christmas is.